Good day, and welcome to the Frontline Chatter Podcast. My name is Jarian Gibson with co-host Andrew Morgan. How are you doing today, Andy? I'm doing pretty good, Jarian. I'm doing pretty good. Um, n- nothing to report or complain about aside from the fact that it's a Monday. Um, looking forward to our guest today, obviously. We've tried to pin this man down for months now, and eventually he's <laughs> we've caught him. <laughs> and uh, how are you? Doing pretty good. Yeah, happy to finally get caught up with our with our guest today. It's been a scheduling um, adventure to get him on, but uh, without further ado, um, we have Claudio Rodriguez today. So how are you doing, Claudio? I'm great, guys. I just want to make sure people understand the problem with agenda. It's not me, but also you both, okay? <laughs> so you're, you know, I'm not here to take the, the whole blame on the whole agenda and scheduling. No, but yes, we I have been a little to, bit hard to reach out. We wouldn't want to blame you, Claudio, not at all. <laughs> it, it's a team a effort thing. with different time zones and people's busy schedules, you know. It's sometimes that that happens. Yeah. Exactly. It's traveling. Good. It's good. So um, anyway, without further ado, for anybody who uh, has been living in a cave or under a rock for the last couple of years, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, Claudio. You know, you've, you're an MVP, you're a CTP, you're a V expert. You know, you're 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 pretty much a pillar of the EC community. But I mean, would you mind telling us your story, where you got started, and, and how you got to where you are now? Oh, for sure. Well, the whole EC, you know, uh, I guess all of us we always started somehow connected to Citrix. You know, Citrix was the, the first one for sure out there. And everyone that I know in this industry, all the old guys, they always started doing something that was even before MetaFrame, some of the guys. And that's exactly how I started. Uh, OS2, I was a, a technical support engineer for Compaq, just dealing with, uh, if you remember, the SCO Unix and, uh, of course, OS2. That's all I did all day long, and that's how I got my hands into Citrix. And from then, you know, like every every single Citrix technology and product that was released after the, the OS2 based WinView, I touched it, I played with, and I deployed. That's how I started my hands on the, the server-based computing. Wow, okay, so you started off as a support engineer in HP. That was uh, a well. At the time, it was actually compact. Like it was way, way before the acquisition. That we are talking about uh, 1992, 1993 timeframe. Wow. Okay. And and where did you go from there? So you you were you were working as a support engineer, and and, you know, step us through. Where did you where did you go from support, and, and how did you end up sitting where you're sitting today? Well, then I started working, as I said, uh, mainly on Citrix deployments. And from there, like when Microsoft came on board and released TSC, like back in 97, 98 timeframe, I started also playing with the Microsoft stack and, you know, the, of course, always doing the Citrix. And at one point, uh, I moved to Canada. That was 1999. So early days of MetaFrame, so before 1.8. And that's when, you know, deploying mainly Citrix and, and back in the day TSC4, I realized that, well, these people are buying all these things and they really only use, uh, it, it, at the time it wasn't really a, a matter of only using a fraction of what they were buying, but it was a funny market back in the day. Like people were buying something like in the in that case Citrix. And some people really, all they cared was about like, oh, I don't publish applications. I just want a, you know, a full desktop. But other people were like, oh, no, I, I don't do full desktops. I, I just want to publish applications. And that's when I realized, well, if I break all these things down into multiple blocks and I sell blocks, uh, I think it, it will do well. So that's when we decided to develop the, the old add-ons that we had for Terminal Server that would do the load balancing portion. So if you didn't care about public applications, all you needed was the load balancer. And if you needed the, the, the seamless windows, you know, PubChat apps, we had that as well. So, But the idea was just buy whatever you need and everything played together, of course, so you could buy all the modules, put all them together, and you had a full stack. So that's how the, the company started. 
Very good. So, so what was the name of that company, if you mind me asking, Claudia? You mentioned there that you, you started off with kind of a challenge um, around, you know, customers buying a lot of things, but they didn't need many. And I thought it was interesting that you, you said that people were debating, even back then, nearly 20 years ago, whether to do desktops or apps or both, you know. And here we are 20 years later and customers are still debating the same thing. But uh, anyway, I digress. Well, what was the name of the company that you founded back then? And, you know, you mentioned a load balancer, you mentioned um, uh, a published apps, but, but what was the primary focus of that company? The one, the name was TerminalServices.net. TerminalServices.net, okay. Yeah, that's the one that later on uh, 2X acquired. And now, you know, last year, as of uh, last year, uh, Parallels acquired 2X. Okay, so oh wow, it started all the way back then and it's it's, it's changed hands a few times, but it was your your first company, is that true? That's it, yeah. That was the the first one I I started from the, the ground up. Brilliant. Okay, cool. So, um, you know, aside from aside from you know terminalsurface.net uh, and you know you're, you're you're obviously consulting these days, but what like what do you do to keep yourself busy? If you mind me asking. Oh, you know, I, I'm married and I have three kids, so <laughs> that, that's a a big one right there. But uh, you know, job wise, uh, I I have like uh, some kind of advisory consulting gig uh, in, in several like with several companies in this particular space uh, of course I have the consulting because I think it's important no matter what to, to have your hands on experience always and to see what people are doing like in the real world so that's mainly my, my daily job you know dealing with these companies and, and doing consulting on a kind of a not a full-time role, but, you know, uh, I have some good customers that I, I keep and th- that's where I get my, my hands-on experience. Very good. Okay. So, uh, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think the important part of, of, of staying technical is staying technical, you know, getting your getting your hands dirty, rolling up your sleeves and going out and doing implementations too. You know, it's it's fine uh, from any level, from evangelist down to, you know, SE to, to sell a product to a customer based on what, what it can do. But if you're not absolutely sure it can do it, you know, you're, 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 you're really just selling the marketing buzz. So, you know, I like that. I, 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 I try to do the same thing myself. I always make sure I up my sleeves. Yep, I would agree. I'm the same exact way. You know, I, I try to stay as hands-on as I can and, and be able to, you know, work in different uh, products as well to be able to keep those skills up. Yeah, sometimes it's just tough, you know, because as you remember, like years ago, when we talked about UC, it was kind of a, a, a little thing or made out of just a bunch of parts, and as of today, it's like uh, a whole different ball game. It, it's really a puzzle with like thousands of pieces today. I couldn't agree with you more. There's, I mean, there's so much to it. I mean, and even if you just follow the Citrix story, you know, I mean, it, the terminal services, and then all of a sudden it was desktops. It was networking with, with Netscaler. It was data with ShareFile. It was mobility with Send Mobile. It was it was laptops and desktops with Zen Client. You know, the, the market is 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 forever um, um, evolving. And now, obviously, with cloud and you know Windows 10, that there's just yeah, it has absolutely exploded. And now, if 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 ever, it, it, it's certainly more difficult to keep on top of things than it was before. Yeah, I would agree, and, and kind of keeping things, you know, moving on here today. Um, you know, you mentioned that you you you, uh, you were part of Two X. You sold to them. You know, Two X is part of uh, Parallels now after that acquisition. So, you know, what all products and companies have you had your hands in over the years? Oh, that I, you know, that I somehow uh, kind of advised them on, on things. And working with them in in a closer or, or not a relationship, well, several like um, before the, the the Quest acquisition, Provision Networks was one. Wow! And you know all these guys, you know the view workspace that is now well, it was under Dell, but that was Provision Networks that is started. Well, before you uh, you move forward on real quick, so since, since you brought them up and brought that up, so what do you think about that announcement of VWorkspace now that Dell has hands in, in VMware? And then also, you know, do you think VMware use the pieces? Do you think someone will try to buy the IP? You know, kind of want to hear your thoughts around that whole situation. 
You know, uh, honestly, I, I don't think it will be a matter, you know, first of all, to buy the pieces, usually someone that is selling pieces, it's because normally there is a need for the money. It's like when Mocha 5 went down. They were looking for buyers for their, you know, intellectual property. And the same for, if you remember, uh, Panologic. Same idea. They were actually looking for people to buy the, the, the IP, the assets. In that case, I don't think it will be the case. You know, like Dell, VMware, whatever it is, they don't need that money. Well, are are you sure though? Because Dell selling other pieces off, they don't need after that merger, and you know, so having that capital from a product they retired could you know be for another acquisition later on, or just have money in their in oh. their in their their savings chest there. Well, the problem I see is there is actually quite a lot of good stuff on that stack, right? So one thing is like VMware or someone else buying something that is garbage. And we all here know that VMware and Citrix bought a lot of garbage over the past <laughs> couple of years, right? Don't hold back there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, man. When I think about uh, VMware and Citrix acquisitions, all I can see is that, you know, you know the garbage truck that comes on your street, the waste management shit, you know? <laughs> I see the truck coming down the street, and that's what I see. They stop at Citrix, and then they deliver all the garbage they acquire, and then they go to VMware, and they deliver a couple more you know, piles of garbage, and then the truck moves on. So that that's the, the visual picture that I have of the Citrix and VMware acquisitions. Uh, in the past couple of years. Of course, there are exceptions. You know, on, on any garbage, there is always a, a little treasure. But that said, I think there are great pieces on the on the Dell stack, on the viewer space stack. So in that case, if you get rid of that, if you sell, is really something you want to do? Because, you know, that means someone else will get these pieces. And maybe a, a player that may know exactly what to do with them and all of a sudden you created a, a problem for yourself, you know, market-wise. True, and that, that's, that's a valid point. And one thing we did, we had like our our monthly uh, calls here recently and we, we kind of talked about, you know, a piece of that stack with the Y Streaming Manager piece that was inside of VWorkspace that that's something that VMware could possibly use and have a, you know, a, a PVS competitor-like product with it you know, even though they just released, you know, just-in-time desktops, but, you know, they can start saying we have this too now if they wanted to. Yes, yeah, some pieces definitely, they, you know, they. If, it, if the question is should they use some of the pieces, of course they should. And one is, is the, the WSM, as you mentioned. It's, it's a great software and has been around for a very long time. People don't even realize that. But the, the bottom line is, not every single piece that is on that stack may be really useful for VMware in terms of integrating that to their horizon, whatever offer. So in that case, I, I would say the best from a, a, a strategic perspective is to, you know, not to sell, just just keep them and, and kill them and, and don't do anything. Don't let everyone, you know, don't let anyone else put their hands on that, that, that's the, the bottom line. Okay, so we, 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 uh, so we got your thoughts on that because we, we have that on our agenda today anyways, but I wanted to stop there since you mentioned it. But, you know, kind of going back to that previous question, so you mentioned working with, you know, Provision Networks, VWorkspace. Um, what other companies and products um, have you worked oh, with? Oh, Kalista. If you remember Kalista and uh, the remote effects. Yep. Wow, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Yeah, remote yeah. effects, yeah. Well, Kalista, like I was probably the only person outside of the company that had their software stack running at home on, on a Windows Vista VM. So that was a very long time ago. Wow, well, okay. And obviously Kalista was, was, was acquired by, uh, by Microsoft and then implemented as a remote FX for, for, um, for exactly. yeah, their stack. Yeah, okay. Very good. And then, of course, uh, you know, uh, we have all been involved somehow with Microsoft because of the, the MVP program. And you always give, you know, some good ideas uh, and some bad ones as well. It's, <laughs> it's part of being an MVP, right? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. 
Uh, okay, so you've you've had a, an illustrious career, and you're now um, consulting and and keeping an eye on a couple of, and assisting a couple of companies as you went along. Uh, interesting to hear, Claudia. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, so, I mean, obviously, the, the the big conference coming up in the next couple of weeks is Citrix Energy um, as a CDP. I'm sure you're 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 attending, right? Uh, actually, I'm not attending Synergy because it's uh, the the main issue I have with Synergy. It's it's in May, and May they somehow always pick the worst date. That is my wife's birthday. <laughs> yeah. So Honest. this particular one is exactly on May twenty second. That is her birthday. So there is no way, especially with all the traveling that I had like so far this year. There is no way, you know, I can make it. Like, okay, that's impossible. Unfortunate. But you'd yeah. be watching from the sidelines anyway. I mean, obviously, that the last couple of the last couple of years, Citrix Energy has been a little lackluster, if that's fair to say. Um, and uh, you know, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. You know, Synergy. You know, what do you expect to come out of Synergy? And do you think Citrix will make right on their promise to focus on core? Well, I, I, you know, I think so, but uh, I guess you guys both read uh, Brian's uh, article like last week, I think. Yeah, to do with um, yeah, to do with the the the, the motel art again and um, the new CEO. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I don't think he's wrong. I think it's uh, you know the guy's job right now is to clean up the mess. And and that's it. Make the numbers look good. Very good. So yeah, now Brian Brian went on to kind of describe Citrix's motel art again, kind of you know appealing but not not particularly appealing. And then the, he insinuated that the new CEO was kind of just a, a chop man brought in to clean house, sell off bits, and get the get the get the boat as attractive as possible for sale. Yeah, um, you know the three of us, we are all CTPs, right? And not getting into anything that is NDA or, or any shit like that. Like just thinking about looking back one year, we are now you know synergies coming up in in a matter of two weeks. If we look back one year or a little bit before, like before last synergy, what do you guys, you both, think that has uh, not changed, but what has Citrix really done? That was great in the past year. Yeah, there's, so there's a couple of things to that question. If you're if you're punting it back at us, I mean, they, they've they've been quietly innovating in a sense that they they have been bringing things to the table. You know, Workspace Cloud has been upgrading as as time goes by. There are a couple of announcements that we are privy to that you know are, are interesting to say the least. But I mean, if I if I judge Synergy from the previous synergies that I've attended as a CDP, really, you don't find out what they're doing until. The morning of of, yeah, of, the, yeah. of the of the keynote, you know. So I, I I'm I'm hesitant to be honest. I mean, if I look at you know what's changed in Citrix, obviously they've had some they've had a turbulent time, new CEO. But then at the same time, you know, I, I like the focus on core message. I think it's it's key. You know, they need to go back yeah. to doing what they do right in the in the in the short term. In the short term, I mean, look, nobody, no company survives on not changing anything and only focusing on what they're currently selling. But um, I think they need to go back and focus on their core offerings and mobile. Well, said desktop and uh, you know um, and Netscaler, um, but with Christian Riley and all on board now and 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 towing things forward, I, I I do I do feel a little more confident than I felt last year. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, and, and same here. Like uh, I definitely feel more confident. But as as you you just said, it, it was because they really are getting back to the bread and butter. You know, to to what brings the the bacon home. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I'm so, glad they realized that. But in terms of really innovation, what have we seen? I I haven't seen like innovation, innovation. Yeah. Okay. So you're talking groundbreaking kind of super clever stuff to get you excited and go out and start selling products again. Yeah, or even trying as much as they can to keep up with the competition, because as we all know, like in certain areas, they are kind of now instead of leading they are you know falling behind like they are going after whatever you know the the players in the industry are releasing so but again to be fair with them they had a lot of cleanup to do and that probably took like a lot of their focus and and efforts last year so yeah to be fair 
they did what they had to do. Oh, I get that, you know. And so, I mean, how would you describe yourself running into synergy? Are you are you pessimistic? Are you optimistic or cautiously optimistic? Uh, again, given the, the the whole cleanup effort that has been happening, and what I think they are they are moving towards, like Brian said, I don't expect uh, anything major or groundbreaking, or, or anything that excites us from a technology standpoint to be announced at Synergy. Yeah, that, that, that's about what we'll have to see. There, there was some good stuff that came out of Summit, you know, but it, yeah, we'll see how Synergy goes and, and, and see what they do as far as um, announcements and, <clears throat> and, and content-wise. So, um, so let's talk about VMware. So, you know, they have the just-in-time desktops and app volumes. So how does it make you feel about uh, VMware, especially with Horizon 7 uh, released recently? Well, like I, I – it's funny that you asked it because a couple weeks ago I had to go through this exercise of uh, setting up uh, several different environments, and one of them, of course, it was uh, Horizon 7 based. And my – I, I don't want to, you know, go through a long story here, but the main take I got was features are there, some nice features. It's still very unpolished in many ways. You know, certain things are, are paying the butt. And, you know, I, I hate this stuff like, oh, you don't have this. Uh, do you, uh, Can you install this before? Or, you know, it, it's unpolished, the whole setup, and it's, it's sort of confusing a couple of things. Could be better. But as I said, features are there. They're getting better over time. And some of the stuff they announced, uh, honestly, for certain markets, uh, I I don't see any benefit whatsoever for the majority of the customers. But again, you know, uh, it will benefit some customers. That That's great. You know, you move forward with technology. But uh, it's not something that I think will benefit most of the customers. Like GIT is a good example. Oh, G- okay. So you don't you don't think JIT is a is a, is a, is a is a wide scale super feature? It's 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 more of a it's more of a smaller niche in your opinion, is it? Well, I think it's gimmicky. Like uh, you know, if you have a, it's like a discussion I I was having with uh, one of my friends a couple weeks ago about this. If you have a fairly large environment that, yes, you you need to keep, let's say, uh, 10% of your capacity always on standby, you know, waiting for users, and it's a fairly large environment, okay, I can get it. Like 10% of thousands and thousands could be thousands. So if I can create uh, things on the fly immediately with no waiting, awesome. But... If I have a uh, you know 200 users, 500 VMs, uh, 600 VMs, and I need to keep another 10% ready to roll, do I really need GIT? Not really. Plus, it, it's a V1 feature, right? I don't know if we roll out to 20,000 people when you are going to start seeing things not working as expected, or you know. Breaking, I'm not sure. Maybe great down the road. Today, I mean, I can't comment how good or bad it is. But again, for most environments, for the, these medium and smaller guys, this is like, yeah, it's it's okay. It's nice they have it, but uh, I don't think they they're gonna use it. Well, you know, I think they had to do something to improve their their image management because. You know, link, link clones. Composer. <laughs> yeah, link clones and composer, or at least enhanced composer in a way. Because honestly, I'm not a big fan of the composer and the architecture of it, but that's just me. Um, but they had to do something. Yeah. But you know, as far as you know, VMware versus Citrix. You know, how do you rate them today with what they've done and the features in their current product stacks? Well. I think we all agree, like, PVS has its its uh, own set of issues, like anything else has its own set of issues, you know, MCS and linked clones, whatever you want to use, there will be issues. But that said, 
the damn PVS is rock solid in many ways. Unless you have a problem with it, in which case it's your worst nightmare. <laughs> uh, I never have. Well, that can be said of a Zen server too, you know, an exchange. <laughs> Don't mention the war. Yeah, they're all in the same boat, you know, the, the, the Titanic. That's the boats, they're all in the same. <laughs> so when it breaks, man, that, that's it. There is no, no going back. It's, it, it's bad. But again, to be honest, like I, I have had very, very few issues with PVS. I don't know if it's because of the way we do the deployments. Like we never bother with, uh, you know, PXC, TFTP, never. It's always BDM based. I don't care about the replication on PVS. We always go with like a clustered file server. It always working. I have never had issues. So that said, I think in that respect, VMware can not only learn something from Citrix in that respect, but, you know, there's a lot of people out there that really like PVS. And when you are migrating iStack, the more you have that is similar, the easier the migration is because it's all about concepts, right? You go to someone that is all Citrix-based and for whatever reason they decide to go VMware and you say, oh, listen, we have something like this on VMware. It's this other piece. Oh, we also have the PVS, like it's the, the wise streaming manager and so on. Makes things much easier for people to understand and to embrace it. If it's too different, you know, people are like hesitant, you know? You know what I mean? There is like this barrier when it's too different. I get you. I get you. You know, uh, and it's just just to punch it out there, Claudio's best practices obviously are <laughs> BDM boot and uh, cluster file server storage. Just in case anybody misses that. So um, no, it's good. My, I suppose my only issue with PVS is you put an awful lot of reliance on the network team to make sure that they keep their end of the bargain up, and uh, you know yourself how how sensitive PVS can be to any kind of network difficulties, and when. The proverbial hits the fan. Um, quite often, it's difficult to get the the the, um, the responsible team to work with the team who's not responsible to try to try and figure out what the problem is. But I suppose that's that's just like any other technology that bridges a bridges a technology um, trench. If that's fair. Yeah, and that's what BDM solves. It gets rid of the networking people. Yeah. So, you you kind of mentioned you know you know about Zen Server so. You know, this, this is a bonus question. So with the, the hypervisor space today, you know, we have, you know, VMware, we have, we have Microsoft, we have Citrix, we have uh, Nutanix. You know, what are your thoughts on that space as far as market share and customer adoption? You mean for Zen servers specifically? Um, just in general of all the four I mentioned. Well, uh, I guess... We can see this trend, right, over the years. We can see it happening. It, it has become like a, a commodity, right? Before it was this big paid solution, and now VMware, oh, well, VMware has something that is free, and Microsoft has Hyper-V that to a certain extent, in a certain level, it is free as well. So we can see everything moving towards something like that. And if we look at into the hyperconverged, it's kind of going towards the same line, you know. Today we have Nutanix, you have Atlantis, we have other players like creating these hyperconverged solutions. But the bottom line and what I think it is happening and it will happen even even more, it's it will become a commodity. I guess in a year from now or two years from now, you're going to be able to get a hyper-converged solution that is good enough. You know, I don't need, a, you know, uh, over-the-world replication. I don't need another node in, in, in Mars or anything like that. You know, for that, probably the free solution that will be out there in a year or two will be good enough. And when good enough is good enough, then what happens with the market? So then what does Citrix do, though? Because if you look at the four we talked about, three of those have their own hyper-converged solution, whereas Citrix, you know, they went down that path, 
but now they've kind of backed away from it. So what do you think they should do in that aspect? Honestly, I I don't think they should do anything, honestly. Because, again, it, it's always like I say, the problem with, with trying to do something under your own brand, it means you are going to now have to kind of enforce customers to use your own stack, right, for everything. And I think the game that Citrix plays of today, it's a good one and could be even better if they get deeper and deeper integrating their stack into the cheapest free stuff available. Like, try to do as much as you can on Hyper-V, getting rid completely of SCVMM. It may piss off Microsoft, well, too bad. It can't piss off more people than SC anything has pissed off, <laughs> you know, in, in the world, right? No, and that's, and that's a valid point because, you know, we did have this debate, you know, in, uh, on our CTP thread. And I brought this up saying that, you know, pretty much Hyper-V is free because there's, there's the free Hyper-V edition that you can do. You know, you get failover clustering. You get um, the, the the storage pieces in it. You can do scale-outs, all that kind of stuff for it. Um the only thing really cost you on a Zen desktop deployment is the OS. You know, if you're doing server um, like Zen app, um, you know, your cost for your, your virtual desktop licenses. And then, you know, virtual machine manager, which, you know, out of the products that, that are out there and that were out there, they're kind of the only one that requires it because V workspace, it was optional. Even with their own RDS solution, you can get by and deploy it and have the management of the images and the desktops without vmm so hopefully you know citrix kind of goes that route maybe make it optional my, my feeling is they're just going to say well we'll just do azure stack and you know deal with it because they want to probably keep that that friendly relationship but um i don't know I, I think they need to come to a point to where it's it's optional not required especially for smaller yeah. customers especially for smaller customers because if we look back it used to be you could buy VMM by itself, but now you have to buy it as the system center license. And honestly, for, for smaller customers, they don't need that extra overhead. Um, oh, no. You know, oh. And, to, and today, you know, I see the customers like use PowerShell, use PBS, use full clones because you can do all that. You don't get power management. You don't get MCS. You don't get the PBS wizard. But at least you're not having to add that extra layer of complexity um, and the extra cost onto the project. Yeah, but again, I, I I truly believe they can do a lot. Uh, and it's funny that you, you brought up, you know, Hyper-V and some of the missing features. Because if you look at, at the Parallels stack, the 2X product, actually, they hadn't, they still have, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I, I honestly think it, it's good to have in, in certain markets, but it's bad for other reasons. But... The bottom line is they actually have, for example, for Hyper-V, when you deploy their stack, you load an agent on the Hyper-V, on the free Hyper-V. And then through their own agent, you can do actually power management and other things. Well, that's how that's how VI in a box was. So Citrix actually exactly. had this with VI in a box, which is, you know, kind of, you know, gone, you know, to the wayside and with the focus on Zen desktop, but... They already had that model, and you, you kind of, you know, talking about parallels, um, kind of led into, you know, our next question here is, you know, what are your thoughts on other players? And, you know, since you mentioned parallels, do you see, you know, someone like them gaining more traction, especially with um, V Workspace not being an option anymore? Honestly, I I, I truly believe uh, yes, and and I think they are the best ones to to fill the gap for a couple reasons. The main one, and I, I still believe in this, okay? The whole VDI and, and whatever you want to call, but I'm looking more at, at like a, a hosted desktop OS. Doesn't matter if you access the full OS or just something running on the OS. I think it's going to explode when you get consumers. You know, the end user, the Joe Blow guy, on board. And why I think Parallels has an upper hand here, because of Parallels desktop. So if you think about the whole stack, their Parallels access offering, 
that is the you know the the clients that you have on, on mobile platforms to access a VM running under Parallels desktop through their cloud, almost like a go-to meeting or a, you know Can team viewer for yeah exactly. It's actually pretty usable, and they added a lot of the the, the native mobile experience when you actually access applications running on Windows. But now as they also control this, you know, EUC offering that is the 2X RAS, you know, for, for SBC and VDI, there is nothing that prevents them to, you know, be able to do things like, well, as soon as you assign an application to your user using a Parallels RAS, that same application, because it can be delivered as a container, that they own the container stack, you know, Virtuoso and all these technologies, it's all parallels, right? It's all under the same company. They can actually, oh, you've got an application at work. Do you want me to, you know, make this application available to all your devices that are parallels? And all of a sudden, all your apps are now on your Mac, on, on your Windows VM running on Mac. And the guy assigned these apps, you know, for you at work. And now they are available even offline because you take your Mac offline, they are now available there. And more than that, they can do the reverse thing. If you have Parallels Desktop and I, you know, they detect that you have Word, Excel, whatever it is on your Parallels Desktop, they can say, oh, do you want me to make this available in the cloud for you? Through their, you know, their Parallels RAS. And the user says, yeah, subscribe, done. And now when my Mac you know, it's off at home or I lost connectivity because my internet was down, I can now access from my iPad directly from the Parallels Cloud the same applications that I had on, on my Mac. That's something no one else offers. Okay. Well, I need to, I, I definitely need to take a closer look at Parallels. I mean, I obviously used it on a Mac for some time and they had their, their Windows or they had their, their iPad client as well for connectivity. So, you know, I saw all that, but I didn't realize how far they, they'd actually stretched in. It sounds like a very compelling product. Well, they have an uh, MDM uh, solution as well now. So they, they kind of, you know, have all those pieces uh, along with, you know, what Claudia was talking about to have a pretty nice solution. You know, like, like I need to look at it as well. I've been kind of keeping an eye on them, but... I really need to roll up my sleeves and kind of get more hands-on with them. Yeah, very, yeah. very They own so many things. Like, uh, as I said, the the whole Plex, uh, not the, the, what is the name? The Well, there is the Virtuals, of course, and then there is Odin, the company they sold to Ingram. So they were big into the ISPs. So they know all these things, you know, portals and managing multi-tenancy, uh, everything like that for the, the hosting providers, they have all that knowledge in-house. And it's not, you know, they are trying to, to catch up to something. They are proven, you know. It, it has been up and running for several years with thousands and thousands of, of customers. Wow, okay. So, I mean, we've spoken about we've spoken about Citrus, we've spoken about VMware, we've spoken about, you know, parallels. I mean, the, the obvious, the, 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 the huge dinosaur in, in, in this play is Microsoft, obviously. And, I mean, as, as, a, as an MVP for quite some time, you're very familiar with, um, with, with Microsoft. It's 13 years now, Claudio, isn't it? You've been an MVP? Actually, it's, uh, like, here on my desk, I have these, you know, these crystal thing with the, the little rings for the ears. It's showing 15 here. Wow. Nice. But it, yeah, it's, 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 I'm on my 16th year, yeah. Wow, okay. So, I mean, obviously, you know, Microsoft had a turbulent time when Windows 8 came out, and they've, they've come back all on slinging with Windows 10. I'm, I'm seeing them make a lot of success with Office 365 and Azure uh, in Ireland at the moment. They're, they're just everywhere, and they're doing everything, and it's, it's working out very well for them. Uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on the Microsoft approach to EUC as it stands today? And, you know, as a, as a follow-on, do you expect to see DAS from Azure this year? Uh, I don't think DAS. I, I think they are, they are really trying to focus on, on really having apps, you know, applications. And that's the bottom line. If we think about it, like, do we really need, uh, for the market, they are catering, okay? I don't think they are really trying to get the, the people running legacy software 
that is all really, really, you know, keyboard and mouse based. I think they are really trying to, to bring to Azure, especially with the, the Azure Remote app, more modern applications and applications that somehow also have a, maybe like a, a mobile version available, like all the Office offering and so on. So really, do they need to bring a, a desktop to, to Azure? I, I'm not sure if it's needed, especially because after a certain point in, in the past maybe year or two, businesses that are starting up and, and you know new users, they are really used to this concept of I just need my apps and being multi-platform. So they are not really tied into the old uh, desktop concept. So I'm not sure if it's uh, if it's coming on, on Azure. I don't expect to see a desktop OS on Azure anytime soon, directly by Microsoft. But uh, maybe you know they're gonna license and others will will be able to to do it. But uh, for them, I guess it's more like you know give the users the apps they need and that's it. And that's fair. You know, I think remote apps kind of kind of gonna be you know them going more on that. We we've seen them doing. You know, the HTML5 gateway now um, in Azure and, you know, that kind of stuff. So um, we'll have to keep an eye on, on them. Maybe, you know, do you see them doing any kind of acquisition? You know, you know, we, we had um, Thomas Willingham on here um, from the RDS team, and, you know, them and Unidesk kind of, you know, have been really good partners. Do you see them maybe going after Unidesk or making a, another acquisition in this space or just kind of, you know, staying the way things are now? Well, the thing with Microsoft is they, they go through so many acquisitions like during a year that we, we don't even hear about. So that, that's the first problem, trying to, to keep track of, you know, if they're going to acquire or who they're acquiring. But Unidesk, uh, I don't think they, will, they, they would be acquiring someone like Unidesk. Not saying it's a bad product or anything. It's actually a great solution, and and people should definitely look into Unidesk. But uh, to bring something like that to something that massive, you know, that massive in terms of uh, scale, like uh, Azure and, and Era, I I don't think it would be the the way to go for Microsoft. Okay, and that's fair enough. So, you know. Keeping things rolling here, so the Raspberry Pi, as you know, there's been some debates on Twitter and stuff and through email, and you were part of the debate too recently, so... Oh, God, too many debates. It's getting all the buzz as thin clients. You know, what's your take on them, and are they ready for the enterprise? Oh, man, I, you know, I think if you... You know, every company now, they should give users their thin client kits. You know, the first day they are hired, you want to work, here's your thin client kit. You're going to assemble this Raspberry Pi, here's the soldering iron, and go crazy. <laughs> if, you can't, so, if, you can't, if you can't build it, you can't work here. <laughs> that's it. Like, if you can't, you know, solder your own thin client, man, get another job. I don't care it's for sales. Sales guys, now they have to learn how to solder. That's a requirement. <laughs> So, I mean, in all seriousness, though, I mean, do you see this as a challenger to the Think Light market, or could you see you go, yourself going out en masse to a customer with a Raspberry Pi? Well, we have to separate two things, okay? And that's that's one of my problems with the, the Raspberry Pi fanboys. One thing is the hardware platform, okay? I think it's a pretty solid platform. I think if someone, a company, decides to, to get you know, that platform as their main one for what we know as a thin client, but a real one, you know, that has a box, that has interfaces on the back that doesn't require users to solder anything and to build Legos and go nuts, then we are into something. But the other thing of the stack that people don't separate is the software. When you think Raspberry Pi, we are always thinking about, you know, some sort of Linux Unix-based doesn't work. For that, my take is if you stick with Linux, it, it, it it's a, a bad choice. And why it's a bad choice? Is it because I hate Linux? No. 
as you said at the beginning, or I, I said here, I have been in this market for 20 years. Linux was there 20 years ago. There were RDP clients and whatever clients several years ago. To this day, none of them work as well as their Windows counterparts. And we're not talking about, you know, six months down the road. We're talking here like 10 years. So in 10 years, you couldn't make anything work on Linux as great as on Windows. Why is that? Well, there are several reasons why. But of course, there are limitations on, on having like, a, you know, a Linux OS on the thin client. Now, if we, if we use the platform, the hardware platform, and we throw on top of that something like Windows 10 IoT or whatever Windows 10 flavor that Microsoft decides it is the one that can run on this platform and, you know, then there is a bigger chance we are going to see a much closer client to the full Windows one on, on that platform. So it will be easier to, to maintain, even if you migrate everything to like a universal app, that could be the future for certain things, who knows. But if that goes you know, down that path, potentially in a year or two, you are talking about a single code base. Is that better than, than having one for Windows and one for Linux? And more than that, having two that are not exactly feature by feature at the same level? I think it's much better to have a, a single one to deal with, even if it takes like a year or two to get to that stage. So I like the, 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 the you know the Raspberry Pi. I just don't think Raspberry Pi plus Linux is the solution. I think it, it, it sucks. That's the bottom line. Yeah, one thing I mentioned yesterday on Twitter as this conversation was rolling on, you know, it was like Windows will always be a first-class citizen you know, when, when it comes to you know, these agents that we use to get into these solutions. And it, it pretty much has been since, you know, so, as long as I can remember. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, uh, it's it, it's always easier to find developers for Windows platforms from a desktop point of view. Do you know what I mean? So, I mean, from a receiver, from a, from a you know, a, from a VMware view agent, from, from anybody who's writing the software that, that does the client connectivity, you're always going to have a much easier time plugging new features in. And historically, that's what Citrix have done. Features always come to Windows first before they go to any of the the other um, the other platforms. So it's yeah, it'll be it'll be curious to see. Personally, you know, I've nailed my my colors to the, to the mast a number of times. The Pi is not an enterprise ready device for a number of reasons. But um, yeah, anyway, no, it's interesting to hear your your take on the Pi. Um, lift, lifting up and kind of looking at the at the space as a, from a wider point of view, Claudio. I mean, looking at EUC today, I mean, do you see anything that's missing, or where do you see companies needing to look next in the space? Well, I guess the first one is all of the companies out there. Like, it's to get their own stack better integrated. That's a, a you know something that has to be done as of today. You know, that's a big piece missing right there. And I'm looking at all the companies. Citrix, you know, they have been doing a better job, but we still have several interfaces to, to, to deal with to manage the, the whole Citrix stack. The same for VMware. VMware, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's worse, but, uh, you know, again, it, it's missing. Microsoft, we don't even need to to talk about it because, you know, it's missing even an interface. So it's not a matter of missing the, the integration between two different interfaces. Well, they don't even have an interface. You can't call RDMS like a, an interface. So that's missing today. Missing or missing for the future or where they, they would have to go next. As I said, I, I truly think the future of this space is going towards mass consumption. You know, I, I don't get it. Why as of today, for example, I don't know you guys. Maybe I know Jaren is like a, 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 a Mac, an Apple fanboy, but not the case here. So in my case, I keep switching devices. Sometimes I'm, I'm pissed at my Windows phone because it's doing something weird, and then I'm like, okay, forget it. Let, let me go to Android. And then I start using Android, 
and pisses me off uh, maybe a month <laughs> later. And then I'm back to Apple and then I, you know, I'm in love for a month and I hate it again. Every time you switch a device, why do I have to go through the whole damn thing all over again? Telling the device what I have on, on that in terms of applications. Who am I, you know, from a, a digital persona perspective? It's a major pain in the butt. And that's something I've seen with my kids that are, you know, the older ones, they are 17 and, and 21. They keep flipping devices and it's always the same story. Like, oh my God, I just got this phone. Now I have to install all my apps or similar apps because I switched platforms. I think that's the future of EUC. It's something that we'll know. I have whatever that is irrelevant, what I have, but this is what I run on a daily basis. If I switch device, man, it's not impossible. There has to be a piece of software that I can run on any sort of phone that knows, that does some inventory and knows what I have on every damn platform. I don't care if I have to re-enter my passwords or, or do minor reconfiguration, but something that I, I flip devices, I go from Mac to Windows, and when I turn on my brand new Mac laptop, Oh, I can see you had uh, Office, you had this. I downloaded all these apps for you. You may need to buy, you know, but it's done for you. Here you have all your apps that you had. That's the future. That's for me. It's when you you see, as I said, it's going to explode from a a market acceptance perspective. It's when the guys like my kids can switch from whatever to whatever, and everything they had moves with them. That's the future of EUC. Okay. So uh, I, I suppose the first step on that road is obviously cloud enablement, and we're there now in the sense that the, you know data roaming is commonplace now because of cloud. You know We've got some, some applications syncing their stuff up and down to cloud. Uh, you know, it, it, it's definitely the first pillar in that story, but I, I couldn't agree with you more. The, 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 the true seamlessness of roaming from device to device and having it, having it carry your persona uh, I'm not saying it's ever going to get perfect, but I think it has a long way to go, and I'd agree with you there to to better enable people to to smooth roam to steal Citrix's term. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it doesn't need to be perfect. The the bottom line is, as I said, if I get a new phone and oh, you had an Apple, this is what you had. I can see on the Android on the App Store that they have these apps. Some are one to one, you know. Hit same developer, others are similar. If I now turn on my phone and, and I see the same apps and similar ones, and I have to just re-enter my password for something, that's way better than having to to find which applications I had and, and all that junk. Like it, it's insane. It's it's called it's called the convergence of MAM and desktop virtualization. That's it. Yeah, okay, I get that. Um, okay, so, I mean, uh, interesting topic so far. I mean, uh, yeah, just from a, from a personal note, Claudia, what's on, the, what's on the horizon for you next? What are you, what are you, what are you doing in the, the, in the future? Oh, man, that, that's a very good question. <laughs> I have no clue. You know, I'm doing some work for companies here and there, some in this particular space, helping them, you know, shaping their future or their products and so on. But I have no clue. Like, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing right now, you know, pays the bills and makes everyone around me here happy. So that that's the bottom line. That's, that's the great thing about working in a, in a, in a, in a fluidly evolving market and the things change so fast you don't know what is going to be happening in six months never mind you know two years i and i often joke i still don't know what i want to do when i grow up <laughs> oh yeah exactly. yeah so well, uh, the only thing i know for sure like two things the 2016 book that is going to come out uh you know third quarter of the year and the 2012 one that is pretty much ready i have to send to amazon and I just got back some uh, some stuff from the sponsors today, so it's going for the you know proofreading and everything, and it's gonna be out on, on Kindle pretty soon. 
Oh, very good. So you got two books on the way, 2012 and 2016. Yeah, yeah. Wow, okay. So uh, I'll, I'll make sure to, to – have you got a, an article online or anything to, to say you're writing this book? So I'll make sure to put it into the podcast. Oh, yeah. And Jaren, he even got like uh, 300 pages of the book. <laughs> so Jaren will share it all for free on the, on the podcast. Oh, I'm only good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's really good. It, uh, I was really enjoyed it and a lot of good information there. I, I learned some things from it as well. So – you guys, as far as from uh, you know, getting people educated on RDS is, is going to be a valuable tool, especially for those who don't really see RDS as a, a strong competitor out there to the other products in the field, and always try to go, you know, with you know the VMwares or the Citrixes, that kind of stuff, where you know RDS can hold its own. Oh yeah, no, it's pretty cool, and we covered all the the issues that people see based on our experience, you know with the forums and and it, it's all there like you you read it you're gonna nail it so it's 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 pretty decent i'm very excited so you know on, on a personal note we, we know you know at least i know that you're you're a car guy um that you like fast cars and stuff and, and you and your son work on cars um but away from you know like euc and, and cloud you know what, what kind of technology you watch at the moment and what excites you Man, technology-wise, like the only thing right now that I'm looking into is why my Netflix from the U.S. doesn't work in Canada. This is me <laughs> off, you know. That, that's all I, I'm looking into right now from a technology perspective. Yeah, I never, I never understand why it's like you get different content based on the region you're in, and, and the same things for iTunes. It's like, why don't you just let us see whatever and not do it by region? But you know, the one way around that probably is use a VPN. Yeah, but they started tracking down. Like, it's not that simple anymore. But that's one of the things. The other one that really excites me now, it's um, my son, He, the little one. He's, you know, he, he's in, into technology. You know, he has his own iPad and he plays with everything. He likes little robots. But the one thing that he, he was looking with me that I showed him, you know, the Jibo, the, the little robot that is coming out like sometime i hope this year yeah so jibo that that's uh, th that kind of stuff that i'm looking forward you know more of the 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 home the the house you know the the helper you know the the, the machines that can can do your stuff at home and help in in many different ways very good. Okay, so home automation and that kind of stuff. Uh, Jerry, and you were looking at that, weren't you, for your for your home well, office? Well, he's a little bit different. You know, he's kind of getting into a little more more advanced of that. But um, yeah, yeah. I've always I've always intended to sit down with a pie and try to automate some stuff at home, and then real work happens. So you, you, don't, <laughs> you don't need a pie to do it. That, that's the misconception. Everyone thinks that yeah. you need a Raspberry Pi and that kind of stuff to do IoT. You can do it without it. Oh, yeah. I know, I know, I know. But you know, the developer in me wants to write it myself. So <laughs> um, anyway, I yeah, know it is what it is. Uh, okay, well, look, uh, Claudio, uh, thanks a million for joining us today. Um, it's been a really interesting podcast, and it's great to get your backstory. A lot of people don't know what kind of where you came from and how you got to where you are today. And I think this helps spells it out. I, I always love speaking to you because you never hold back any punches, and you're always very honest. But you're honest and correct ninety percent of the time, so it's cool. Um, yeah, the other 10% of the time, I thought I was incorrect. <laughs> That's what I always tell my wife. She's like, oh, you, you, are never, you think you are never wrong. And then I told her, no, I was wrong one time that I thought I was wrong. And then they want to kill me around the house. That happens all the time. Uh, yeah, there's no point in arguing with a, with a woman about who's right or not. I, I, I just lose. You know, They're, they, are, they are smart, smart creatures, and they always – I, 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 my wife particularly uh, outsmarts me all the time on, on silly little things. Uh, but anyway, I should just ask her advice more often as well, I'm afraid. Uh, anywho, oh, completely off topic. Uh, before, we, uh, before we close down, I just wanted to um, – to thank our sponsors, uh, Goliath, FS Logics, and Liquidware Labs uh, for uh, sponsoring us. You guys are awesome and let us do what we want to do. And I'll hand it over to Jerry to close down. Yeah, thank you to our, our guest, Claudio, for joining us today. Um, really enjoyed having him on. And hope our listeners uh, enjoy it as well, along with look for his um, upcoming book for RDS 2012 and 2016. Um, for myself and Andy Morgan, thank you for listening to the Frontline Chatter podcast, and we'll talk to you next time.